How many of you know someone who you could call a goody two-shoes? Or maybe how many of you are the goody two-shoes? That would be me. I remember one day in high school, I was at Edie White, we went to class, and the teacher never showed up. So we waited 5, 10, 15 minutes, nothing happened. And at some point I realized someone, like, someone had to tell someone something. So I went to the office to tell them that the teacher never showed up. I remember going there and coming back, people were like, no, you don't have to do that, we get to get this free period, we don't have to do anything. And as much as I wanted that, I couldn't bring myself to let that happen. I thought about that story when I heard the first reading. We hear from the Book of Wisdom, we hear from these men, who it says they don't believe in God. They think that we're just kind of born by chance, and once we die, that's it. And so their conclusion from that is to just, we're going to live for this world. We're going to take advantage of the good things of the world, and that's all we're going to live for. But as we hear today in the reading, they say, there's this righteous man. He's annoying to us. He's obnoxious. Just like the very sight of him is a burden to us. He says that he, says that he's, he knows God and that the way that we're living is wrong. And so we're going we're gonna to put him to the test. If his God is with him, then, his, he, then he'll be right. So we're going to put him to a shameful death. So it's not, it's not fun being that righteous man a lot of times. Although not that extreme, enduring the little persecutions of life by trying to do the right thing is difficult. Especially when all the social pressures are pointing us to do exactly the opposite. You see this with kids in middle school and in high school, persisting into the workplace and in adulthood. So often we cave and we become like those wicked men instead of listening to that little prick in our conscience that's telling us what we probably know we should do. So it's maybe in that light that we can hear Jesus' words in the gospel today. This is the second time that he predicts that he's going to suffer and die. If you remember, he said the same thing last week. It's the second time, again, that his disciples just don't seem to get it. Jesus is the Messiah, the the Savior of Israel. He's supposed to come and usher in this era of, of triumph and of victory. So what's he talking about with all this suffering, dying? Surely that can't be what he means. But three times, Jesus is going to say that I've come to suffer and to die. And that his disciples and those who follow him are called to imitate that. And it's something that we're constantly needing to be reminded of. Because although hopefully we're not going to give our life for being Christians, like the apostles did, like the first Christians did, we're called to follow that example, to die in little ways, even if it's just in our reputation and what people think about us. Those little persecutions of sometimes having to be that goody two-shoes. It's a message that we hear often, but sometimes it's hard to concretize what that looks like in our life. I think the second part of our gospel and the second reading give us something specific that we can maybe focus on this week. And that's pride and selfish ambition. So the apostles are arguing about who's the greatest. They're concerned with where they stand, how they're seen by others what power they have or what they will have. Who's been doing the best job at following Jesus? Who maybe preaches the best? Who's worked the best miracle? Who's been the best apostle? That's what they're concerned about. Their their gaze is turned inward, kind of focusing on themselves. These little games of selfish comparison that we so easily fall into, myself included. It focuses us on ourselves instead of on the other. 
And James's letter speaks right to that. As a whole, it's a very blunt letter. And so he says that wherever there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there's going to be disorder. And you have wars and you have conflicts because of those selfish desires. So you take and you take, but you're never satisfied. So you, so you kill, you fight, you wage war. Maybe wars among families, within the family. Wars between friends. Wars even within ourselves. Because we don't like being belittled. We don't like being told that we're wrong. We, can't, we don't like when someone tells us we can't do something that we want to do. We all have this desire to be the greatest, the best, you know, to be untouchable. To always be above other people and always be in control, always in the driver's seat. It's in that place that our human pride flourishes. But notice what Jesus does to combat that. He puts a child in the midst of him. A child is, is one who follows where he's led. He trusts in the person who's leading him. Even if it seems like it's leading to persecution and to suffering and to trials, the child has to trust. But also notice what he says. He says, whoever receives a child such as this in my name. I think any parent know that caring for a child is incredibly difficult. It involves many sleepless nights and draining days. But what it does is that it pulls your focus away from yourself totally onto somebody else. It's a training that help us put, it helps us put the needs of others before our own. So how can we do that? How can we combat this tendency to always put ourselves first? James says something really important in the last sentence of the reading today. So he's talking about how we have this desire to always take for ourselves but never being satisfied. He says that you do not possess because you do not ask. You ask but do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So he says we ask wrongly. So we need to ask better. What does that look like? Maybe instead of asking and saying God, asking God for what I want, or telling God what I think needs to happen, we can try to shift the focus a little bit. Lord, maybe what I want isn't the best. Maybe what I think needs to happen isn't what you desire. So Lord, help me to see better. Help me to see like you see. A few weeks ago, I talked about the importance of silence, the importance of taking that regular, silent time with the Lord and kind of sharing your heart with Him. So how's that been going? Has it been going? Because the fact, stale, like the fact still stands that if we want things to change, if we're unsatisfied, if we're unhappy, if we're longing for something more, we have to take that regular time of silence with the Lord. There's no getting around it. So maybe now we can commit to that or recommit to that, to taking that time to share our heart with the Lord in that silence. I want to offer you maybe something that we could do in that silent time, something that's been incredibly helpful for me in my own spiritual life. And that's a daily or a nightly examination of your day. Just for like five, ten minutes, wherever you are, just take a moment to put yourself in the presence of the Lord. I mean, your bedroom, in your living room, outside, walking, in a church, wherever, wherever it may be. Just put yourself in God's presence. And ask the Holy Spirit to show you those times in your day where you were thankful. 
if you experience a particular grace of God, if someone gave you a compliment, if so you had a really good conversation with somebody that day, if someone you know, did something nice for you, those times where you've experienced a little joy in God's presence, and you thank Him for that, then ask the Holy Spirit to shine the light on those days or maybe you, those times in your day where you failed, where you've fallen short, maybe you were short with somebody, maybe you got impatient, if you said something you shouldn't have done, or maybe you didn't do something that you should have. And ask God to help you to do better tomorrow, or whatever that particular thing is, and ask Him for that grace. Because so what this does is the more we do this, the more we're going to see how much help we actually need. And so, with that, we'll be more merciful to others. We're able to see better with the eyes of God. See that we're all sinners, and that we all need God's help. And so we're all going to hopefully work together to better each other. And it helps us to purify that pride and that selfishness so that we can ask God better. So what are you thankful for? Maybe where did you fail or where do you need help? It helped me to do better tomorrow. If we persevere in that, we're going to be able to be more attuned to see how God's acting in our daily life.